Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I'm Andrew Cooper Writer. And if you want a conservative talk program focused on Kentucky issues and politics, you've come to the right place. You want to hear national talk, national news. You want to hear the same national headlines told to you with commentary by five different people throughout the day and talk about the same issues. Well, that's not what we do here. You can go find that elsewhere. That's this show here. It's not for you. If, however, you want to hear about what's going on right in your own backyard, what's going on in Kentucky, what's going on with issues that you can actually make an impact on, well, stay with me because over the next hour, I'll be covering the Ford EV battery plant has announced delays in construction. And what does this mean to the taxpayer who's promised them $410 million here in Kentucky? And the governor's election where Bashir has really pushed that Ford battery plant as a crowning achievement, that'll affect that. Next, I'll go over one policy that Cameron could come out with right now that would go a long way to pointing out just how beholden Bashir is to the far left of his na national uh, Democrat party. Finally, I'll talk about the Fayette County Public School Board member Tom Jones, who's resigned after microaggression racial controversies. But this points to a growing problem in our Kentucky schools becoming more and more beholden to the far left cult. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Kubrater Show. If you want to reach out to the show, please feel free to email us at info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. I might just read your email on the air. So please email us at info at theandrewshow.com. And please make sure you're telling other people to tune in and listen to The Andrew Cooperator Show every day, Monday through Friday. In 2021, myself and two others joined together on a petition to impeach Andy Bashir. In Kentucky, we don't have recalls. Uh, we don't have any way for citizens to try and recall or get rid of elected people, hold them accountable themselves other than an impeachment petition. The process is simple. You file a petition with the legislature and any citizen can file this and you're filing for an argument um, to impeach any elected person in Kentucky other than a member of our state legislature. So you could file an impeachment petition to remove your judge executive, a sheriff, a judge, or even the governor, which is what myself and two others did. And one of our key arguments at the time was that Andy Bashir should be impeached and removed for office for attempting to hold people under house arrest for weeks on end for going to church. Maybe you remember him holding up the notice that KSP would uh, go on to put on people's cars and writing down people's license plates out of churches. Maybe you'll remember this warning being put on there. And now call me crazy, but I don't think an elected governor should be able to violate our First Amendment and then get away with it. If I violated your rights, if I broke into your home, if I stole your stuff, if I kidnapped you, if I attempted to take away your guns, your property, you'd say I shouldn't just be hit with a slap on a wrist and have to pay your legal fees that you incurred by trying to stop me. Legal fees, by the way, that I'd be paying using taxpayer dollars, your dollars. No, you would say I should go to jail. I should be punished. And that's why I joined the impeachment attempt because it was a uh, time that somebody be held accountable in our government. Enough of this 
two-tier justice system. Then a funny thing happens. You see, in order to impeach someone for violating the Constitution, they have to knowingly do it. You know, Bevin, for an example, during his administration, he was found to not be following the Constitution when he spent less money than the legislature uh, appropriated for something. You see, the legislature has control over the purse strings. Therefore, when Bevin attempted to spend less money than they put forward, then Gov uh, Attorney General Andy Bashir took him to court and uh, got a court ruling saying he had to spend the money. Now, one would argue that Bashir having a law degree and being a lawyer, he should understand the basic rights, especially the first one especially one of the five rights guaranteed in the First Amendment, which is our freedom of religion, our freedom to go to church. But even if he didn't understand that, there was someone that supposedly had a conversation with Bashir telling him that this was an obvious constitutional violation, and Bashir responded by saying he didn't care. And that was Rodney Brewer, the head, uh, the head man there at KSB at the time. Now, did the impeachment committee call Rodney Brewer to testify? No, of course not. Why? Because the Republican leadership in the legislature and all of their intelligence decided they wanted to run against Bashir. They wanted him to be the one they ran against in 2023. I mean, surely a person who's violated so many people's constitutional rights, people who's somebody who's destroyed jobs, failed on issuing unemployment, pushed mandates harder than anyone else in the country. Remember, it was front page national news that Kentucky by percentage had put more people out of work during COVID than any other state. They thought that, well, this must be somebody they can beat. One thing is clear, while Cameron may pull this off, it does not uh, appear to be like he's going to blow him out of the water. It, it appears to be a nail biter coming right down to the very fine end. How did leadership get this so wrong? Simply they forgot what message you were sending. they were sending. You see, they decided not to forward the impeachment petition, and they actually sent myself and the other gentleman a cost bill for $44,000, and that was the cost of executing the impeachment inquiry. Now, don't worry. We took them to court and won. We didn't have to pay a single penny. But by not impeaching Bashir and then sending a cost bill to myself and the two other gentlemen sent a clear message. It sent a message that we failed to hold Bashir accountable, that we didn't actually think what he did was all that bad. Whether they meant it or not, that was the message they sent. They said he was truly trying the best he could. But yet, when we have the leadership and Republicans and people running for office talking about how awful what he did was, how wrong it was, how much it violated constitutions, and how he shouldn't continue to hold office because of it, it's hollow. The words don't ring as true because they themselves didn't take the threat as seriously as they should at the time. Their actions speak louder than their words. And now this is one thing Democrats understand. If you're going to make your rhetoric inspiring, then action better follow. I mean, that's why all their blustering and, and going on about Trump being a criminal needing to go to jail. We knew it was going to lead to court actions. Democrats don't just say things like Republicans are a threat to democracy. They say Republicans are a threat to democracy. But when they say that, what's so scary about it when Democrats say things like this is it's not just rhetoric. They follow it up with action. And there's a litany of examples, certainly as well, at the national level. Republicans, on the other hand, 
they push forward all this rhetoric, but then their actions excuse it, something that the Democrats use to their advantage. And until we get some Republicans in this state in power that don't just bluster about huge rhetoric, talking about, oh, what Bashir did was so awful, we got we to gotta hold him accountable, well, then they fail to. So it, it really doesn't matter how many Republicans we elect, we're still going to be under threat from the far left liberal push to destroy our culture and our values. We'll still be under that threat because Republicans, they talk a big game, but so often, especially here in Kentucky, their actions don't follow through. And their lack of follow through has put us in the position we're in, where in a big red state like Kentucky, Annie Bashir, the governor, may still win re-election despite everything he's done. Speaking of Bashir and what he's done, coming up after the break, the Ford uh, electric vehicle battery plant has hit some more delays and snags. A story that concerns all Kentuckians as we've promised them almost half a million dollars in taxpayer funds. We'll have more about this after the break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from a conservative perspective. We'll see you guys here in just a short break. Welcome back to the Andrew Kubrater Show, conservative political talk show focused on what's going on right here in the Commonwealth. $410 million. That's a pretty big number. I know I don't have that. Uh, I don't know what your financial situation is, but most of us probably don't have $410 million to blow. That's almost half a billion, but that's exactly how much you promised Ford in order to get them to bring their electric vehicle battery plants to Kentucky. Two plants that are basically side by side, but the project has hit some snags. As I've covered in prior shows, the UAW, the United Auto Workers, protests and demands that future electric and battery plants uh, employees need to be unionized has already put the deal on some shifty footing. As I've covered before, I'll explain quickly why. Well, these non-unionized electric vehicle plants like Tesla end up making a 12 to 13% net profit, while unionized uh, manufacturers like Ford only pull in a 2.5 to 3% net profit. And frankly, Ford and these other um, you know, gas vehicle manufacturers can't compete in the electric vehicle, vehicle market if they unionized. Electric vehicles are more expensive to make already. This means that uh, already the electric vehicles demand a higher price that they're, than if you were to compare them to their gas version. A perfect example of this when it comes to Ford is the F-150 Ford Lightning, which costs so much more than an F-150 that if you just simply bought a gas-powered F-150 that is similarly equipped, you would have to pay nothing for electricity and then drive that electric truck for 155,000 miles to even break even. That's if, once again, you paid nothing for electricity. And most of these batteries get real iffy as far as their life uh, span goes after 100 to 150,000 miles. And replacement of those batteries is more than replacing a blown engine in a truck. So you throw that in with the problem. Uh, now you've got also the cost of electricity and the replacement of batteries and everything else. You're going to never make up the difference in price between a F-150 and a F-150 Ford Lightning, the electric truck. And that is, of course, if you don't 
um, finance it too. This would be you paying cash. If you finance it, that time will be even longer and longer. So, and that's not to mention, so you're paying more for truck over its entire life. You're going to pay significantly more by going with the electric option. And then not to mention, you're only going to get a 90 mile range if you pull something like a camper with an F-150 Lightning. So uh, the F-150 Lightning has about a 400 mile range. You throw a camper on that. Now it can only drive 90 miles-ish before it has to be recharged. Not very useful. So unless they can get the cost of electric trucks down, they'll never be more than a novelty. Why would you ever buy an electric truck when it costs more of its lifespan and you can't tow anything with it? Now, electric cars, however, that could be a market of real growth and, and a place where there could be competition by Ford. But the problem is, once again, you have to compete. And how can Ford compete with Tesla? If Ford unionizes and brings over the same business model that they have for their gas vehicles or diesel trucks, they will only make a 2.5% profit. And Tesla, once again, makes a 13% net profit, meaning they can cut a full 10% on their price and still make more of a profit percentage than Ford. Right now, the Ford Mach-E, that's like their electric vehicle. It's kind of like a crossover SUV thing. It's about 50K new. Tesla's Model Y, the closest competitor to the Mach-E, is 45K. Tesla could further drop that price down to $40,000, 10 grand less than the Ford Mach-E, and then still make more. Simply put, Ford cannot compete if they bring over their same business model. And this is clear to any kind of investor. Well, Ford, of course, was hoping that they could build these electric vehicle plants by being non-unionized. And then also they use billions of taxpayer dollars and hundreds of millions of specifically Kentucky's taxpayer dollars to fund their uh, investment and fund their development into the electric vehicle industry. Well, they got their billions, but the non-unionized battery plants are looking like an iffier and iffier occurrence. The unions will demand that these are unionized. And if they give in, well, that certainly creates a whole lot of uncertainty for Ford. As well, all electric vehicle manufacturers are scaling back operations, and Ford is no different. Uh, there have been market issues and uncertainty, um, but additionally as well, the general demand for electric vehicles has fallen off. This isn't just me saying it. This is a major story all around the nation. Electric vehicle demand has fallen off. So with the issue of the unions, with electric vehicle demand falling, this has caused Ford to announce delays in opening one of its two electric vehicle battery plants here in Kentucky. A major blow to Bashir's re-election campaign as he's touted this as a major win for Kentuckians. He's even tweeted out over the weekend, he tweeted out that we should not worry. The electric vehicle plants are still coming to KY, to Kentucky. They're still being built. Uh, um, and so we shouldn't worry, but we should. And why should we worry? Why is this a big issue? Well, part of the deal that Bashir and our Republican legislators struck with Ford involved about us giving them about $350 million in cash, a $30 million free piece of land, and a $20 million in taxpayer funding for training programs at local universities for Ford. So basically, we're going to use our taxpayer dollars to train their employees for Ford. 
you know, just hundreds of millions of your tax dollars going to a multi-billion dollar company. That sounds real conservative. I know it makes you wonder how these Republican legislators square this with their stated conservative principles, but that's not all. You see, Bashir has already gave Ford $250 million in cash up front. $250 million cash up front. Remember Brady Industries? Uh, the steel plant the, that Bevin gave 11 to 12 million to that everyone is still up in arms about that everybody still points to as a great blunder and mistake of the uh, Bevin administration. Well, how about $250 million? 20 times that. But does Bashir really care? No. He just has to keep the deal together for at least another week. As long as he can get reelected. Well, then it'll be fine. And, and, and do you think he would tell us if behind the scenes Ford's saying, look, we don't know when we're going to build this. We don't know when this is going to come in. Of course not. Because then he'd have to explain how he's getting our $250 million back. And let me tell you a little secret. If Ford does fail, if this plant falls through, we aren't getting it back. They have a truck plant in Louisville. They'll threaten to just pull that plant if they can't settle with us on very favorable terms for Ford. And of course, the Kentucky legislature, and the who's ever in, in the office of governor, will just fold like a cheap suit because that's the way these politicians operate. It's not their money. It's our money. So why bother fighting for it? I mean, if you gave $250 million to someone and they promised to build a giant plant and bring in thousands of jobs and then they fell through, that would really bother you. But, well, if it's just somebody else's money, well, them's the breaks, kids. Them's the breaks. Why fight for it? And this is exactly why government shouldn't be in the business of investing. I understand a lot of people want to take electric vehicles and make them seem like a sure thing. They want to make them seem like they're exactly like gas vehicles. It's, it's building an electric vehicle plant has exactly the same economic value as if Nissan or Chevy brought a new plant here to Kentucky to build uh, the Nissan Altima or Maxima or Titan or something like that. That it has the exact same value, but it simply doesn't. The electric vehicle uh, field is just, it's too unknown. And too much of the business right now is based on gigantic green money, green new deal tax credits and, and straight cash that's coming out of our federal government as well, because they're pushing for this to go through. And what happens if Bevin loses in 2024? We already have a delay on the Ford plant. You know, the, the, the electric vehicle program for Ford loses them billions of dollars a year, billions of dollars a year. The only way they can sustain and afford that is they're getting massive amounts of taxpayer funds and tax breaks. But if a new administration comes through and says, look, especially a Republican administration and comes through and says, look, I don't agree and I don't either. So I'm not saying they're wrong to say this. We don't agree with millions of our taxpayer funds going towards investing in a new industry, an industry where there's still the technology just isn't there for everybody to be driving. Our electric grid, grid can't handle the charging. I mean, if everybody had two vehicles they're plugging in right now, that, that is 
two to three times more than what our electric grid can currently handle as it's set up. So we have to undergo a massive electrical grid uh, upgrade in order to continue to do this. So a Republican president comes in, Trump comes in and says, we're not doing this anymore. It's a waste of money and the technology isn't there. Do you think Ford continues to build that plant? But yet Bashir here and in part the legislatures, because they've gone along with it, have agreed to continue on down this path, a path of unknown, a path that looks shakier and shakier every time we learn something new. From the moment the plant has been announced, there's been nothing but bad news. News of other plants trying to be built using Chinese companies, which raises questions about, of course, the ties this company has to China. Because Ford uh, uh, partnered with SK Batteries, that's out of South Korea, to build this plant. Questions about delays, demand, viability. The questions have continued to be asked, and yet we have no answers for it. The horrible policies by Democrats. Speaking of horrible policies and Bashir's horrible policies, coming up after this break, I'm going to talk about one fiscal policy Cameron could come out with that would point to just how beholden Bashir is to the far, far left of his national party. We'll have more after this break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Editor Show. And welcome back to the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky political news and talk from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Of course, I'm Andrew Kubrider. A few years ago, California decided it would boycott Kentucky. No longer would it allow its state employees to travel to Kentucky for state business. And no longer would California issue state contracts to Kentucky companies. A strict, no-nonsense ban. Why? Because they decided we were just, here in Kentucky, we're just too mean to the LGBTQ mob. The ban was then reaffirmed when Roe v. Wade was overturned and Kentucky stopped allowing abortions. It was due to, you know, the, the, the freeze by California wasn't due to fraud or monetary mismanagement. No, California just decided, due to social issue politics, it would boycott Kentucky. Yet this ban doesn't stop Bashir from issuing contracts to Californian companies almost monthly. Take just last month for an example, the Bashir administration issued a $1 million HR contract to a Californian company. I don't know about you, but uh, that's the last place I want to be getting HR advice is from California. Anyways, a $1 million that could have been spent to maybe a Kentucky company. You know, like the several Kentucky companies who actually applied for the contract, but instead Bashir and his administration had the contract, the million dollars, sent to California. Why? Well, for as much as Bashir wants to pretend that national and social politics shouldn't affect Kentucky, they do. And Bashir doesn't uh, uh, return the California boycott. You know how California's boycotting us. He doesn't boycott California. He keeps issuing contracts to him. Why? Because Bashir agrees. Kentucky is too mean to the LGBTQ mob. And Kentucky should allow the wholesale murder of babies with no restrictions. He's vetoed every single piece of pro-life legislation that has been sent before him. He even vetoed the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, a law that would have required doctors to provide life-saving care to babies that survived a botched abortion instead of letting the child just die on the table. These are born babies. Let them die on the table. Bashir vetoed a law requiring them to give them medical care. 
make no mistake, Bashir is very, very far left. And he thinks Kentucky needs to pay for that. Needs to pay for the fact that Kentucky isn't far left. And this also shows a perfect example of just how the far left operates, how Democrats operate. They create a divide. They say Republicans try to be divisive and create these problems, and, and we're just pouncing on these social issues to drive a wedge between us. But when did you ever hear of a conservative state banning a Democrat state from doing business with them simply because of their social policies? Conservatives as a whole across America hold the same beliefs most Americans have held for decades. Yet, Democrats create this massive divide. Then they boycott entire states for staying still, for believing in the same things they believed in for decades. And then California, Democrats, liberals out there try to blame us conservatives for creating the division. Well, it's time for us to start fighting back. That's the only way Sandy is going to win here. I mean, Cameron talks about this during the governor's election. He talks about sane versus insanity and how that's what this election is about. And it really is. It is frankly insane that we have a governor that does millions of dollars of business, of our state business, with our state tax dollars. He does millions of dollars of business with the state that has banned Kentucky businesses from doing business with them. If it's really not about red versus blue, and it's about Team Kentucky, something we hear Bashir say all the time, this isn't Democrat versus Republican, this isn't red versus blue, this isn't us versus them, this is about one Kentucky, Team Kentucky. That's what he said during his debates. Well, if it's about Team Kentucky, is this not a perfect example of where Kentucky should win, where Kentucky is being damaged by the policies of other states and Bashir should stand up on this? I mean, Bashir can say, well, I disagree with Kentucky's laws on this. I disagree with how mean Kentucky is to LGBTQ, and I believe that babies should be murdered wholesale. And while I, I disagree with Kentucky stopping that, it, however, is not in Kentuckians' best interest to continue to do business with a state that won't do business with us. This is just a question about what's best for Kentucky's businesses and the Kentucky taxpayer, regardless of party. A chance to show you're above the fray, but Bashir does no such move. Because not only does Bashir agree with California that Kentucky's a mean, awful, horrible place when it comes to our abortion laws and how we treat the LGBTQ mob. See, He's got to keep dollars rolling to these liberal states as well, because that's where he gets support from, not just in the form of Biden or dollars into his own campaign, but from his own family. I mean, Bashir's wife, Brittany Bashir, is from California. Her mom was an executive at both eBay and Disney, a vice president, I believe. And her dad, a well-known marketing consultant for liberal companies out West. Californian values are Bashir's values. They are literally a part of his family. And this leaves a great opportunity for Cameron to really point this out. You know, one thing I've been critical of the Cameron campaign over the last several months has been their lack of concrete things, especially on conservative fiscal policy. We really haven't heard much about it. We haven't heard much from Cameron on what his administration exactly looks like. We've heard some things, of course. We hear about the Cameron catch-up plan, providing 11% raises to new hired teachers, a summer tutoring program. We heard about his work requirement for uh, Medicaid recipients. We know about those things, but we haven't heard a lot about how he will direct this spending 
of our dollars. How will the Cameron administration be different? Because this is actually somewhere where the governor has a lot of leeway. The governor has a lot of control over how our state dollars are spent. You see the way our budgets are brought together, our legislature appropriates into pots of money. Those pots of money then get assigned to different uh, departments like Cabinet for Health and Family Services, like uh, Economic Development, like uh, Department of Revenue, um, you know, the list goes on and on, Department of Education. And then unless they have a specific thing that they issue money to be spent on, such as, for an example, the legislature said you're to spend, I believe, about $50 million on fixing our unemployment system. This was several years ago. By the way, something Bashir has yet to do. I believe he hasn't even awarded a contract yet to fix it because that just goes to show you how much fixing things like the unemployment system is a priority for him. So while they do that, um, and they, but they, they, they appropriate just these large pots of money. Then the Bashir and Bashir administration has control over how those dollars are spent, how they're spent on their priorities. You see the Bashir administration has spent millions of dollars of our tax funds, tens of millions of dollars pushing forward very liberal ideas. I mean, just over the past year or so, we've spent several millions of dollars on diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants. We spent millions of dollars for formulating diversity, equity, and inclusion teachings in our public schools, hiring consultants and programs. We've spent millions of dollars on programs to help people uh, uh, from disadvantaged groups, marginalized groups, meaning people like uh, uh, that aren't white and aren't men. We spent millions of dollars on programs to help them specifically start a business, not just anybody that needs help starting a business, something that'd be good for all Kentuckians, but just specifically something to help just them with the right skin color, or the right uh, thing between their legs, I guess. You know, these are things that the Bashir administration spends money on. And this is where a Cameron administration would be greatly different if Cameron points it out. And this is an easy thing for Cameron to grasp a hold of and message on. Easy. Cameron can come out and say the Cameron administration will be different than the Bashir administration because I will protect Kentucky values. And I'll protect Kentucky values by ensuring that our state tax dollars are spent with Kentucky companies as often as we can. And by ensuring that not one penny goes to a state like California that has decided to boycott Kentucky. If California wants to go ahead and create division over social issues and not do business with us, then we will return the favor. And every single contract that currently is issued to a Californian company, I'm putting you on notice right now that that contract will not be renewed. And we will prioritize awarding these contracts to Kentucky companies first but also making sure that it's not going to states that hate us and hate our values and are boycotting us like California. This is an easy thing for him to message on and an easy thing for him to grasp. Well, coming up, the Fayette County Public School Board member, uh, Tom Jones, he steps down after a diversity, equity, and inclusion crazies, refused to accept his apology on a racial micro microaggression, a racial microaggression. Sorry, it's such an odd term. I got to get it right. Uh, we'll have this after this break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. And welcome back to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, where we cover Kentucky politics with a conservative and constitutional-based commentary. Of course, I'm your host, 
Andrew Cooperwriter. Thanks for joining us in our final segment. A few weeks ago, I talked about Fayette County School Board, board member Tom Jones. You see, Tom Jones had to apologize after he uttered a racial microaggression. Now, for those of you who don't know what a microaggression is, it means it's you're not necessarily a racist, I guess, but you like somehow accidentally said something that somehow is racially tinged, even though it's not racially tinged. It's a microaggression. It's just something in our lexicon and phrases that somehow is actually offensive, just we all don't realize it. And so a few months ago, Tom Jones, during a budget meeting, said he didn't want to see anybody monkeying around with the school's budget. Monkeying around, a common phrase. A common phrase about how monkeys monkey around. <laughs> how monkeys uh, play around and they don't really do much and don't accomplish much. That's the origin of the phrase. Nothing racially tinged at all. However, this phrase was not taken too kindly by the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council that the board over there, Fayette County Public Schools has set up to make sure that the Fayette County Public Schools is as racially sensitive and, and is a true place where everybody can belong. And by everybody, of course, they mean the LGBTQ and, uh, um, you know, non-white people. Make sure, make sure that they are prioritized. They belong. You know, something where we don't treat everybody just equally with the same standards, but instead we make sure we're treating people differently based on their skin color and who they prefer to spend their time with romantically. Obviously, something that speaks to being equal and not judged based upon, uh, you know, immutable characteristics like your skin color. But despite the fact that this is probably one of the more racist things around, um, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council persists. And despite Tom Jones being a white guy and using a common phrase that doesn't have any racially derogatory origins, it was considered a racial microaggression by the DEI council, and they demanded an apology months later. Well, Tom gave in. He acquiesced. And he apologized at the next board meeting. And most people would say that, well, we should move on. I mean, after all, even the far left cult calls it a microaggression, meaning it's small. It shouldn't be a big deal because, you know, it's a micro, meaning small. You know, it's in the name. However, smelling blood in the water, the DEI council said his apology wasn't enough. He didn't really mean it. I mean, keep in mind, on top of his apology, Tom Jones even promised to attend a DEI racial training to be more sensitive. And of course... Though, when it comes to his apology, maybe he really didn't mean it. Because who would mean an apology on that? Who would mean you apologize for saying monkeying around a common phrase uh, that has no racial tinge? You don't even think you did anything wrong. Most people wouldn't. So, of course, it's a forced apology over an issue that's stupid. You're only doing it because you just simply want to move on with your life and put aside dumb things like people being upset over common phrases in our culture's lexicon that has been there for quite some time that has nothing to do with race. But the DEI Council, the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Council, they, well, they didn't move on. And at the next meeting, they announced after he apologized, they said, well, his apology wasn't enough. So Tom Jones decided to resign from the Fayette County School Board now, was it due to this issue specifically? One could speculate. My guess would be yes, the timing, of course. Tom himself hasn't really spoken out, but should we expect him to, really? I mean, this is the kind of man that, instead of standing up for himself and saying, I'm not a racist and this is stupid, he's the kind of person that's willing to sacrifice his dignity 
to the cult, to the far left cult at the altar, the altar of leftism. He was hoping that after he did his atonement, after he apologized publicly, and then agreed to do some racial sensitivity training or cult reprogramming, that they would just simply leave him alone. But Tom's big mistake was forgetting that he's an old white guy. Nothing he could ever do or say would be enough to atone for his real sin, his original sin, being a white man. So instead of standing up for himself and in turn our children for what is truth, what is right, what is sane, he did just the opposite. He gave in, he apologized, he agreed to his atonement, and then he just quit. If people aren't going to stand up when they know better, or if they're going to just quit and sacrifice their dignity, well, this is bad news for our children because that's who you're really serving. That's who you're really standing up for there. You're standing up to who you believe should be in charge of our educational system. Who do you believe should be driving what we teach our kids? People need to stand up for this. And a lot of people want to pretend that this kind of crazy stuff isn't happening in your school, in your school district, maybe. They want to think the full leftism cult takeover of the public school system simply isn't happening or just isn't happening where they are. But it is happening, especially here in Kentucky. You see, Tom's lack of a backbone affects all kids, and it has pushed forward other policies that this leftist mob is able to get through. I'll give you an example. You see the Fayette County School Board, and I'll give you an example right here in Fayette County, from Fayette County School Board. You see him leaving his spot open leaves the opportunity for even a farther left person to be appointed because when a, a spot is vacant, the board then appoints a replacement. And just how far left is the Fayette County School Board? Well, let's take their new middle school being built in Hamburg. It's being reported that the new school will have co-ed bathrooms. Instead of reinforcing basic biological facts that boys are boys and girls are girls, you know, a sane belief, they instead will use the bathrooms to push forward a leftist idea. We've seen a lot of hoopla over the bathrooms saying, hey, boys and girls should be separated in those settings. Well, instead of following a law newly passed by legislature mandating that boys use boys' bathrooms and girls use girls' bathrooms, they decided, well, we're just going to obliterate it all and just create co-ed bathrooms. You don't have to worry in about allowing boys into the girls' bathroom if the bathrooms, gendered, just don't exist in the first place. Now, how's this going to be executed? Well, most likely by creating individual use toilets with doors, each a private door that they can lock. Um, we do have to guess as the taxpayer funded school plans uh, are apparently secret. So we are having to guess at how they'll execute this, if they're going to execute this with just individual full length doors that can be shut and locked. Because though taxpayers once again are paying for the plans, well, the public simply isn't allowed to take a peek. And I mean, why should we be concerned after all? It's just co-ed bathrooms. Why do you care, Andrew? Well, there's nothing to worry about, right? Why should you care? Why does Andrew care? Well, let's just think about this logically for a second. I mean, we are putting kids going through puberty in situations where they could decide to be alone in a room together that's locked from the inside, has no windows, and has no ability for anybody to monitor what's going on inside of it. I mean, you know, it's not as if sexual assaults haven't already happened in school bathrooms. Oh, 
Of course, that's right. They have. I mean, we all remember Loudoun County schools in Virginia where a boy dressed as a girl went into a girl's bathroom and proceeded to assault a young lady. Not to mention the sheer concern over sexual misconduct going on in our schools to begin with. I mean, currently, current stats seem to point to that one in 10 kids will somehow be sexually harassed or assaulted in some way at public schools. In fact, the sexual assault problem in public schools, even from teachers, is greater than that of like the Catholic Church had with priests on boys or still has, I guess, with priests on boys. It's far greater than that, almost 100 times greater by some accounts of an issue in public schools. Now let's throw in some private locked rooms, you know, where you're supposed to have some privacy. Let's throw that into the mix with a bunch of kids hitting puberty. And well, that can't be a recipe for disaster. And this, this issue here, it's not happening in California or some liberal coastal city where it's expected. No, it's happening right here in Kentucky and it's bleeding out into other counties. It's happening in Fayette County. It's bleeding out. It's going to neighboring counties. It's happening in Jefferson County public schools. It's bleeding out. They're prioritizing installing social values over learning. They're prioritizing school systems over kids. It used to be schools are about teaching kids to do, you know, reading and math, you know, normal kid stuff. But instead, it would seem that's become the least of their concerns. And maybe it's too late for Fayette County schools. Maybe it's too late to have voters that elect some sane people to the board. Maybe too many of them have already fallen to the social cult, the far left social cult, and are willing to clap when somebody needs to be sacrificed at its altar. So many Fayette County schools can't be fixed, but staying alert on what's going on in your schools and your community has got to be a top priority for you. After all, it's your money that's funding these institutions. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Remember, all politics is local, and that's what we cover here. Kentucky issues, local and state politics that we can actually do something about. All set. I'll see you guys uh, back here tomorrow on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. I hope you have a great rest of your day. That's all we have for now. We'll see you.